I'm white. That's not a confession or anything. It's just what I am. It's what society has made me. But listen, growing up, my family was not racist. At least they didn't say openly racist or bigoted things. My mother's best friend was an African-American woman. That qualified us, right? We were good white people. Although I was promptly hushed as a child if I noticed out loud somebody that had darker skin. Or later, if I was asked to go to a white friend's house, there'd be no hesitation. But if it was a friend of color, they might have to contemplate that a little bit longer. But these small, subtle acts of my socialization were not missed. They were inside my home and they were outside of my home. As I got older, I find myself in spaces where their topic of race would come up. It was either one of two things. Someone was slinging racist epithets or someone would bring up a topic of race and the whole conversation would just shut down. It would be crickets. It wasn't until years later as an adult and I saw this replicated on social media after the shooting deaths of Trayvon Martin, the death of Eric Garner, Keith Lamont Scott, just to name a few. Um, I saw this angry vitriolic post by white people screaming things like all lives matter as a counter protest to black lives matter that just didn't i also heard the audible deafening silence of so many just quiet white silence if i'm being completely honest i was a part of that silence what did i know about race or racism pretty much nothing i really never had to think about race so in school, yes, I did learn about slavery. I learned about Harriet Tubman, of course, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, and I'm sure they peppered in a little bit of Rosa Parks there. But that was the extent of my race education. That was it. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I went on a search. Hey, my name is Wendy McConnell. And this is Skin Deep, a podcast about racial literacy, our journey to racial equity, and who is performing local advocacy in this area. Okay, so I'm at my computer and I wanted to find out how I could be so uninformed. Am I the only one? So I, I looked up Gallup poll. And let me scroll here. It says in 2018, they did a poll. They asked white people and black people separately whether there was racial equality in the workforce and housing. There's this huge gap in perceptions. Look at this. Only 30% of black people think there's equality, while 67% of white people think there's equality in these areas. Gallup even mentions here, it says these levels are at the lowest matching levels from the 1960s. Man. How can we be so far apart still? Okay, so now I'm going to go over to the Pew Research Center to see what the outcomes actually are. In many ways, America remains two societies, one black and one white, as measured by key demographic indicators of social and economic well-being. Two societies. So what are the gaps? Apparently, the gaps are, are quite a few. Racial Equity Institute out of Greensboro, North Carolina, really takes a look at this. They look at indicators like health, education, criminal justice, economics, and when they compare white and black outcomes, the gaps are huge. Is it advantage for white people? Is it somehow a cultural problem for black people? What is 
in between those gaps and why do they persist? That's what I needed to understand. So that's what I went looking for. So about three years ago, I attended one of Racial Equity Institute's two-day workshops. This was held in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, when I say that this workshop blew my doors off, I mean it in the best possible way. I learned so much. I'm not going to tell you about the workshop or its efforts. I'm going to let a few other people fill you in on that. But I will tell you that in my county, Cabarrus County, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, we didn't know such workshops existed. My name is Chuck Collier. I'm an old white guy and have been for a long time. I'm retired and now I spend my time, most of my time, uh, working on racial justice. We needed racial equity workshops in Cabarrus County and I began working in that way and my strategy was to get leaders, community leaders, including government leaders and government officials to attend the workshop. So I began meeting with the Concord mayor and city manager and police chief, the Cabarrus County manager, Cabarrus County Superior Court. In case judge, you haven't figured it out, Chuck Collier is not a shy person. He went directly to these top leaders in the county. So I asked him, how are they reacting to these workshops? Well, primarily, I do know some people that uh, attended the workshop, and before they went, they were absolutely convinced that they didn't need the workshop, that they'd been doing this work for decades. And then having gone to the workshop, they were astonished to learn that they had a lot to learn. And they began to understand uh, more than they ever had before, or even were inclined to think about that racism is systemic and institutional. And they didn't really understand the power. So that's one thing. Chuck continued to explain how superintendents were now sending uh, principals, administrators, teachers, law enforcement uh, officials, uh, local politicians, city council members were now attending workshops. But this was not the only effort in our area around racial literacy and awareness. Here is Dr. Lucretia Carter-Berry, founder of Brown Issy and author, whose background is in education, curriculum, and instruction. I was really excited to sit down with her so she could tell us more about her efforts in this area. That's why I choose education as invitation versus just a talk or just a conversation. Or like a, let's sit around a table and have a table group. I strongly do not like those things because people come with a lot of fear and a little knowledge. So it makes it impossible almost to get a good start and get good running legs. So Lucretia is trying to shift the balance of knowledge here with her online curriculum and her guide for small groups. I love this title, by the way, What Lies Between Us. A little play on words there. The idea is to empower people, though, and she's all about family, including her own family. She wants to preserve time with her own family, so she takes her curriculum and her guide, and she makes them widely available in order to empower people with information. Lucretia ago, says on her website, in order to have healthy conversations about race and racism in our homes and communities, we need to move beyond our empty opinions and be empowered with an education. We need language, history, and context. How can you address it if you can't have informed discourse, she says. The goal is to strengthen your resolve and engage in racial healing and anti-racism. Now I want you to meet one more person, Reverend Dr. Claude Forehand. He works with Chuck Collier, who you met earlier. 
He's the pastor of First Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. His role in all of this is to invite those folks that have been through the racial equity training and now have a baseline of knowledge. And that's where he and his co-facilitator begin to guide conversations about race. I've asked him to explain his personal experience with racial equity workshops and what sets them apart from similar efforts. This workshop went from the beginning, basically, and established the history that uh, I wasn't exposed to, and a lot of African Americans actually were not exposed to. Not like this, uh, but this kind of, uh, this type of workshop really put it in, in it established a framework and, and, and put in perspective how systemic racism began to evolve over time through uh, our very turbulent history. And so Reverend Forehand goes on to say what sets not, these workshops apart from, let's say, diversity and inclusion workshops. Rather, to get people to think and challenge them, challenge, challenge their deep fundamental values and views and bases. Um, that's hard to do, and it requires a lot of creativity to do it and a lot of creative thought. This is what's missing in these other different organizations. A lot of these other different kinds of organizations that want inclusiveness, they tend to want inclusiveness in a way that doesn't challenge or doesn't uh, create tension, but rather just kind of offers a pleasant little thought. You know, think of that person that is of a different color than you or of a different ethnicity to you and imagine how they might feel. Hmm, okay. Thank you. See you next time. And it's nothing really with any great depth. With REI, it was more confronting some things that um, was extremely challenging, and I think that is what makes the difference. Of course, all of these efforts featured today are geared toward changing attitudes, which in turn will hopefully shift behaviors. These advocates are telling us that we all have a vested interest in closing these unnecessary gaps and outcomes between white people and people of color, but the first step is greater understanding of where they come from. So once more, here's Dr. Lucretia Carter-Berry. You know, diversity and inclusion, which simply is kind of starting from where we are, which is a, a very Eurocentric or white-centric table or space, and then saying, okay, let's add some color or let's add some perspectives to this without considering how we got here in the first place. So that's the difference. And, I, and so you can add, you can pepper in brown faces into white spaces and it still not have any kind of effect in terms of enriching the space overall because it could just be quiet, marginalized brown faces <laughs> sitting at the table <laughs> without any regard as to why they have been marginalized and why we should take the effort to dismantle the table. So there's that. I certainly can't say that I know everything that I need to know now. But it is a relief to understand what the gaps and outcomes are and have a much clearer understanding of how we got here versus basing all my knowledge on context clues that are dropped here and there. Whether it's a two-day workshop or a study guide or online course or just starting by picking up a book, the point is if we're sincere about wanting to come together and wanting to have equality, we cannot afford to be silent. We have to have some legitimate knowledge about our racial situation. We have to choose education ourselves. And it's nice to know that there are resources out there to help us. Help us be who we say we want to be.